Well, let me wish you happy Father's Day. I'm so glad to see you here today and had a wonderful service this morning. And um, I want to say I'm also proud of my two sons that are dads and the way that they're raising their children. As a matter of fact, we have three sons, thunder, lightning, and tornado. We have one daughter, which is Sunshine. And now God has blessed us with four grandsons. So we need a granddaughter in there somewhere sometime. But I want to talk to you this morning about what great dads do. And as I was praying about this message, and as a matter of fact, I'd already gotten everything written and prepared for uh, the outline, and then I was praying, and I had one of those moments when I, I just began to think about what did Jesus say about great dads, and where did he learn that from? And I thought about our Heavenly Father and what he said and did there. The Bible says something very interesting in the book of Luke, chapter 15, and verse 1. And as I read this, I was like, this is the kind of man I want to be. This is what the Bible says, Luke 15 and verse 1, tax collectors and sinners drew near to Jesus. Tax collectors and sinners drew near to Jesus. And that phrase just kind of captured me and held my attention for a while. Tax collectors and sinners, these were the traitors, the tax collectors. These were, tax collectors weren't like people we think of that work with the IRS today that are primarily accountants and enforcers, but these were people that had betrayed their nation and betrayed the people of God. And then those that the Pharisees and the Sadducees called sinners, and the Bible calls them sinners, like this, what you and I were before we gave our hearts to Christ, they found something so attractive about Jesus that they drew near to him. And as I pondered that and I thought about that, why didn't they draw near to the Sadducees and the Pharisees? The, the religious people is, are not the ones that the tax collectors and sinners drew near to. As a matter of fact, the religious people didn't want anything to do with them. And at the same time, the religious people rejected Jesus, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They rejected Christ and didn't want anything to do with him. And as I began to think about this, I was actually exercising. So you know how it is sometimes to get away from the pain. You just got to think about something else and pray about something else. I, as I was thinking about this, I was like, Jesus is revealing the Father to us in Luke 15. There's the story of a lost coin. There's a story of a lost sheep, and there's a story of a lost son. And so what Jesus is doing is he's revealing the heart of the Father to us. And as I begin to think about that lost son, this son that turned away from his dad, this son that basically said to his dad, I wish you were dead, this son that wasted the opportunities that he had, that wasted the resources that were given to him, this son who, who basically lived a wasteful life, this son was the son that the father stood every day looking for. As I began to think about that, I realized there's always hope with God. And what the father wants us to know is that the father never gives up on us. The father always is looking for us to return because the Bible says that the father was looking down the road for the son to return. And when the son had come to his senses, he'd not only wasted his opportunities and wasted his resources, but here he was in a place that no Jew ever wanted to be. He was living in a hog pen wishing that he could eat what the hogs were eating. Now, I fed a lot of hogs in my younger days. I never wished one time that I could eat what the hogs were eating. There was always something much better at my father's table. There was always something much better in our home. 
But this son had wasted his opportunities. And then I also thought about this because whether you know it or not, the little pigs that we have here that we bring in for the petting zoo at different times during the year, that is not the way hogs are when they grow up. They're mean. They're vicious. And so this boy probably ended up pretty scarred in his life. And so the father is looking for him, and the son repents, and he comes home. And that's all that God is looking for is somebody that repents or changes their mind and realizes that, you know what, I was created for fellowship with my father. He comes home to God, and the father looks at him, and notice what he does. The father puts a robe upon him. He covers his scars the father gives him a fresh start in life. He puts his ring upon his hand, which is more than just a credit card. It's saying, you're my son. We're in partnership together. So the father, he never gives up hope. The father is always looking for. God is always looking for you. God is always looking out for you. Even when you weren't mindful of God, God was mindful of you. Even when you weren't thanking God, God was thinking of you. Even when you were not thinking about God, God was thinking of you. His heart and his mind was always upon you. And he welcomes you back when you come to him. And he covers our scars. I was preaching in a church in Atlanta, Georgia. And I was, I remember that evening, I, I got there a little early, and this was a church, a huge church, had a lot of construction going on, and I was just, took some time to walk around the construction projects before I went in to see what all was going on in, in this booming church in Atlanta. And as I was walking back there, I felt like the Holy Spirit just said to me, and it wasn't an audible word. We talked about this last week. It wasn't audible. It was just one of those times when the Lord impressed upon me. You know, the people that others reject like trash, they're the people that I welcome into my presence. And this boy would have been like that young, like the people that I felt like the Lord was talking to me, the people rejected like trash. Well, that night I went into the service and I shared that in the, store, in the service, and there was a family sitting. Ron, where you and Carolyn are sitting this morning, there was a family sitting on the front row of the church that the pastor had met that week because he had gone to the dump of Atlanta to get rid of some stuff from building supplies from the church. He went out with some of the men from their church. He met a family that was actually picking stuff out of the dump to live. He invited them to come to church. They provided meals for them. I had no way of knowing that. That entire family is still living for the Lord Jesus today. So what I'm trying to say to you is that when we look at what great dads do, our model today, it's not me. Our model is not even some of the greatest dads that I do know, but our model is our heavenly Father in heaven. He's always looking for us. He never gives up hope on us. And even when we waste our opportunities in life, he will restore us to partnership. He will restore us to the family. And God will always throw a party when his children come home. So let's look at what great dads do. So I'm going to ask you if you would to stand with me this morning. And I want you to go with me to the book of Ephesians chapter Six and verse 4, and we stand out of respect for the word of the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Can I be honest with you? Even though I've been a youth pastor for a long time, I always thought this was going to be the easiest thing in the world for me to do. I thought this was going to be a piece of cake. It wasn't until our kids became teenagers that I realized I had a lot to learn about bringing up my children in the discipline and instruction that comes from God. Let's pray together. Lord, we want to please you in everything we do, especially as men. And when it comes to being great dads, 
Lord, we want to model ourselves and our lives after you. So I ask you in the next few minutes, would you just speak to us, Lord, and help us to understand how we can be great dads, Lord, in the model that you showed us in the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son. But most of all, help us to be the kind of people that lost people are attracted to. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Great dads balance truth and love. It's what great dads always do. They balance truth and they balance love. One morning, for some reason, I decided when I was 16 years old, I was going to skip school. I don't know why I decided that. I can't even remember why. But I do remember the cunningness and the deceitfulness of my mind. You know, my dad always went a certain way to work every morning. He would go down our, our highway, then he would turn right on Hartley Bridge Road, take that to Houston Road, take that to Broadway, and that's the way dad went to work. Well, I went out the same way that I always go, but I made a turn a couple of miles from home. I came around behind the Stokes Farm. I came past a, another dairy farm, and I was on my way home down Skipper Road when all of a sudden I saw my dad's pickup truck coming, and his finger looked like Billy Graham. He was shaking his finger at me as he came by. And I knew I was in big trouble. I knew that there was going to be a lot to pay for when I got home that night. Anyway, I, I, I turned around. I went to school and, and came home that evening. And I knew that Dad was just going to read me out, probably put me on restriction, maybe take the keys to my car. But that night, my dad sat in his green Naugahyde chair right in front of the fireplace. And he called me into the family room. He says, I want you to sit down. And um, I just looked at him, and, you know, sometimes as a teenager, you think the best advantage is you go ahead and start. So I said, Dad, how did you know? You never go that way to work. You always go this way to work. And I will never forget what my dad said to me. He says, Son, I don't know how I knew, except that I really felt like the Holy Spirit said, you were about to get into some trouble, and I needed to go that way and look for you. And he said, when I saw you, he said, you saw me shake your finger at, me, at you. And I said, yes, sir. And he says, son, when I was your age, I made some dumb decisions, and I made some foolish mistakes. And his dad died when he was a boy. He said, and I didn't have a dad around to correct me. He said, I want to be that dad that's always there for you. He said, I don't want you to waste the opportunities that God has given you in life. And then he called me by a name that nobody else can call me by. He looked at me as one of those terms of infection, and he said to me, Denny Benny, I love you. I always will love you, but don't you ever do that again. And I didn't. That's the point of the matter is, is I could have been chewed out. I could have been put on restriction. I could have had my keys taken away. All of those would have been appropriate steps for dad to do. But in that moment, my dad was that father looking down the highway, that father who caught me before I made some mistakes in life that could have hurt later in life, that father who simply put a robe on me, didn't tell mom, by the way. When I told mom this story later in life, she says, well, well, he should have told me, but he put that robe on my life to cover any potential scars and to spare me from the wrath of mom, which would have been far worse than the wrath of dad, had spared me and, and then just told me, I love you, son. I will always love you. It's what great dads do. They balance truth and love. 
This is what the scripture says that I just read to you. The discipline, which is the boundaries, discipline is not punishment. The discipline are the boundaries that you lay down. And instruction, that's when you talk with your children. That's when you listen with your children. It's actually the word we get our word counsel from, counseling from. So you see, to discipline your children is not punish them, but it's laying down the boundaries. It's laying down the rules. It's saying, this is how things are going to be in our house. And then the instruction is when we listen to our children, we let them talk to us and we count with them and we help them grow. The Bible says that if you're going to keep your children from being exasperated, if you're going to keep your children from being angry, then you've got to lay down some boundaries. Children feel safe within boundaries, but you also have to take time, especially when they become teenagers, to listen to your children and counsel them. Now, here's what I thought I knew. I thought because I had been a youth pastor. I thought because I had education. I thought I was really prepared to be a dad. And you know, those first years, it was great. It was, I could do no wrong in my children's life. And then they became teenagers, and then they began to question everything I was teaching them. Then there began to be some challenges in our, my life. And one night, I'm reading this verse of scripture from the book of 1 Peter, and I want you to look at this with me. So, and that preposition is so important right there. So, it's like, get this in your head. So, prepare your mind for action and exercise self-control. Listen, if you're going to be a great dad, you've got to prepare. And one of the things that sometimes we don't realize is that God prepared the way for his son to come into this world. In the fullness of time, Jesus came into this world. God prepared a forerunner for him. God prepared the prophets. He gave us all of these prophecies in the Old Testament that we can see how Jesus perfectly fulfilled all of them. So prepare your minds for action to exercise self-control. Put all your hope in the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. Dads, you want to prepare yourself. Granddads, you want to prepare yourselves because you'll never know when your grandchildren are going to come to you with a question that's going to take you a little bit off guard. My 10-year-old grandson came to me this week. We took Becky's mom home, and then we swung by to spend the night and see my, my son and his family. And my 10-year-old grandson asked me a question in his profound 10-year-old wisdom. I want you to get this. He said to me, he says, Papa, my present self doesn't love Jesus as much as my younger self did. Now, he's 10 years old. And I said, well, what do you mean, Nolan? He says, well, when I was younger me, I really loved Jesus so much. But now that I'm present me, I don't love him the way I used to love him. And so that's one of those times I'm not prepared for this question from a 10-year-old, and I just kind of breathe a quick prayer up to the Lord, and this thought came to mind, and I went with it. And I said, Nolan, there are times when Papa doesn't love Grandma as much as I, I don't feel the love as much as I really do love her. And I said, but I choose to go ahead and love her anyway, even though I don't have those loving feelings. And I said, there are times when your daddy was growing up. I didn't always feel real great feelings of love for him, especially if maybe he disobeyed or was disrespectful. I didn't feel like hugging him at the moment, but I did love him. And I don't always feel as loving towards God, but I still love God. And I said, 
do you still love the Lord? And Nolan goes, oh, I really love God, Papa. I just don't feel like I did when I was younger. And I said, Nolan, that's called growing up and you're maturing. And I hope he doesn't grow up too fast. But that's just the kind of questions that you've got to be prepared for. And there have been times in my life when I was thinking about Nolan's question later, there have been times, I'm going to be honest with you, and I hope this doesn't cause you to disrespect me, when I haven't felt a lot of love, felt a lot of love, and all I've had to turn up to God was pure, raw faith. This is, God, I love you by faith. I'm living for you by faith. You see, that's called discipline, and discipline is the price of freedom. Discipline is the price of freedom. And I have lived a long time, and I'm grateful for the life that I've been able to live. I'm grateful for the people that I've met. I'm grateful for the travels that I've made. I'm grateful for the businesses and the different places I've had the chance to speak into. But understand this. The people that I know that are happiest in life are not necessarily the most wealthy people, but they are the disciplined people. People who have disciplined themselves emotionally, people who have dis disciplined themselves physically, people who have disciplined themselves uh, spiritually, they've made good choices. They always haven't felt like doing it, but they did the right thing whether they felt like doing it or not. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 27. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. And athletes don't always feel like working out. One of my friends called me this week to see how it was going since uh, I injured myself about <clears throat> exercising and things of that nature. And I was telling him about all the disciplines that I was observing, trying to stay in shape. And I won't forget what he said to me. He said, you know, every day I exercise, it hurts. There's a certain amount of pain. But he says, I've never regretted because the quality of life that I've been able to live is because of the discipline that I've exercised in every area of my life. Now, this is a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. This is a man who is uber successful and works around the world. But he said this these words. He says, the quality of my life is based upon the discipline that I've observed in every area of my life. And so the Bible tells us that we have to balance truth with love. Here's a quote that I, that I copied a long time ago. Discipline begets abundance, and abundance, unless we use utmost care, destroys discipline. And discipline in its fall pulls down with it abundance. You see, discipline is the key to abundance, but a lack of discipline will destroy whatever abundance. God has given you abundant life. God has given you a fresh start in life. Don't ever waste the opportunity that is God has given you. And I am quite confident that the son that Jesus talked about did not waste the opportunity that he took for granted, and the father gave him a fresh start. Secondly, counseling is better than complaining. Talking with your kids is better than complaining. There's always going to be something, Dad, you're going to see that you can criticize or you could suggest to do better. Part of the reason you want to do that is you love your kids. You've been around the block. You know the mistakes you've made. You don't want them to repeat the same mistakes you've made. But sometimes what they need from you is just for you to listen to them. Do everything without complaining and arguing. Do everything without complaining and arguing. Be a dad. Be a granddad without complaining about it. The 10 years that Becky and I weren't able to have children, 
there was something that happened to us. That intensity grew. We were talking about this in the car this week. That intensity grew. That, that desire grew. We've never one time complained about the price that it takes, either emotionally, spiritually, financially, that it took for our children. We're so grateful for them. We're experiencing the joy of that in being grandparents today. But when do you discipline your children? There are three times that all of us have. Three times when you can listen to your kids. Mealtime, travel time, and bedtime. Mealtime, listening to your children, asking questions that will not just be answered with the yes or no, but getting them to talk to you about what they did. And the earlier you start that, the easier it is to transition into that when they're teenagers. The earlier you start that, if you wait till they're teenagers to try and talk with them, don't have a meal in front of the television. And again, I have to give credit to Becky there. She just absolutely forbids any devices at the table at all. The TV's off. The news is off. We're together as a family, and conversation always happens with our family. The tongue can bring death or life. The tongue can bring how you talk to your children, how you speak to your children, one night, Becky was laying on the floor beside Andrew's bed when he was going through a trying time in his life as a teenager, a difficult time, a difficult time for all of us. Becky thought he was asleep, and she was just laying on the floor beside his bed, and she was praying for him. And all of a sudden, he goes, Mom, I can hear you. But he's never forgotten that. He's never forgotten that we prayed with them, prayed for them every single day. Never forgotten those conversations we had walking and traveling. Christopher brings up those conversations. Benjamin and I having conversations and sometimes learning the difference between each of our four children. And with Amy, Amy can always come up with something to talk about. And when Amy and I are talking, it's always about something totally different than what the boys would talk about. Sometimes it's just good to say, let's go get an ice cream. It's good to say, let's go get a milkshake and just get out of the house and be together. That's the best six or seven bucks you can spend is to go somewhere and be alone and sit on a park bench and talk together with your kids. The tongue can bring death or it can bring life and complaining will never bring life. It doesn't bring life to you. It doesn't bring life to your kids. Secondly, great dads balance dependence and independence. Great dads balance dependence and independence. The Bible says this. We read it in that verse. Bring them up. I like that phrase. Bring them up. Don't pull them down, but bring them up. And to bring them up, it actually means gradation. It's, it's a word that means you gradually bring them up. You gradually help them learn how not to be dependent upon you. You gradually learn how to help them be independent. I was telling a young family just recently, they were talking to me about the cost of raising their children, the cost of raising their family and, and everything. And I said, well, just think about this. I said, give me a number. Give me a ballpark number of what it's costing to raise your children. And they gave me this large ballpark number, and I said, now imagine in just a few short years, they're going to be out of your house, and you're going to have that much money left over, you're going to feel rich. And they started laughing. You're going to feel rich, and, and you're, hopefully you're going to have raises, you're going to move up in your careers, but yes, right now it's costing, but then you're going to feel so wealthy when you're no longer paying the bill. The key is balance and help them understand what it means to be dependent and independent. Get them ready to not need you. And you say, how do I do that? Get them ready to make the critical choices in life. 
Get them ready to know how to choose from right and wrong. Get them ready to know how to tell the real from the fake. And you don't have to do that by concentrating on the counterfeit. You don't have to do that by concentrating on the fake and criticizing everybody else. But model for them and show them what really, really matters in life. Direct your children onto the right path. And when they are older, they will not leave it. I can't prove this. And you can disagree with me with this on if you like, but I'm still right. I believe this is the scripture Jesus had in mind when he was telling the story about the prodigal son. And if you'll look in the center reference columns of a lot of your Bibles, you'll see this verse of scripture listed. Direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. Listen to this quote. This is, I took from Atlantic Magazine last year during the COVID crisis. Researchers attribute positive mental health outcomes in teenagers to two things, more sleep time and more time with family. Now notice that, positive mental health outcomes in teenagers, more sleep, more family time. Positive family relationships are linked with better mental health outcomes, and most teenagers reported spending significantly more time with their parents and siblings. In fact, 68% of teenagers reported that their families grew closer during the pandemic, and less than 1 in 20 of those reported feeling depressed. Friends, that's the best news from the secular press that I've read about teenagers in a long time. Even when something happens that the enemy meant for evil, God will turn it for good when you're modeling your life after the Father. The family time, the closeness of time. The Bible says children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. Dad, granddad, listen to me. I mean this with all of my heart. Your greatest joy and your greatest achievements, they're not going to be in your career. They're not going to be any buildings that you've built. They're not going to be in any companies that you've built. They're not going to be in the watch that maybe you got for your retirement. But your greatest joy, your greatest honor, the dignity of your life is going to come when your children, your grandchildren, your wife, your, your, your daughters-in-laws, your son-in-laws, when they gather around you and they honor you because you did the things that great dads do do. Ordinary dads complain and gripe all the time. Ordinary dads are always pointing out faults. Ordinary dads want their children to either be independent or get them out of the house too soon. But great dads teach them how to make the critical choices in life. And then finally this morning, great dads share their faith. And the crux of this is that the apostle Paul says here, Bring them up in the nurture, the admonition, the discipline, the instruction, the boundaries, the counseling. He says, bring them up in this that comes from the Lord. In other words, learn to share your faith story. Who is God? What has God meant to you? Maybe you've had those times like Nolan told me this week. 
younger me loved Jesus more than present me, or maybe present you loves Jesus more than younger you did. But either way, you know that God never took his eye off of you. Either way, you know that there was never hope lost for you. And maybe you wasted some opportunities, and maybe you wasted some, some, some time that you'll never get back. But God will restore you to full partnership, and God covers you. God will do to you what my dad did to me that day in front of the fireplace when he said to me, he said, son, I wasted some time in life. I made some bad mistakes in life. But God today help me to know you are about to make a bad mistake. Nobody knew that. But God has a way to communicate with parents that will keep kids on their toes. Trust me, I know. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. That's how much we loved you. It was a Swiss study done that I read in Touchstone Magazine If the father attends church regularly, but the mother does not attend, 44% of children will still grow up and attend regularly. Dad, you need to know something. This is not said with any disrespect to mothers or toward women, but you play a role in your kid's life that nobody else can play. Stepdad, you play a role that nobody else can play. Dad, you play a role. You've got to hear me on this. Kids not only need the feminine image of God, they need the masculine image of God. It's why God brings a man and woman together in holy matrimony to make them one. It's why God brings us together because as a mother and a father, together we show our children what God is like. And they need more than mom taking them to church. They need you coming to worship with them. And maybe sometimes all you've got to turn up to God is your pure, raw faith. You don't feel very worshipful. You don't feel very loving. But you do the right thing anyway. Just like you get up and you go to work to provide for your family. Just like you love and honor and respect your wife. You always do that because you know it's the right thing to do. And so I'm challenging you today to understand that to share your faith story is a part of helping your kids to grow. And the way you can do this, pray daily for your children. Your children need your prayers more than they need my prayers. I promise you I pray for your kids. I go through this church's roster every single year praying over every family. Sometimes I get through it early and I start all over again. And there's a lot of families in this church. But I pray for your kids and I call their names out to the Lord. I pray for your grandchildren if I know them. But they need your prayers more. You say, Pastor, why do you pray? Because God answers prayer. He always does. The second thing I'd say to you this morning is share your faith story. And share your faith story clearly so that your kids know. Your kids need clarity when you're sharing your faith story. They need certainty that you know, that you know, that you know you've put your trust in God. That you know that even when you don't feel loving towards God, like my grandson was saying to me, you still love him and he still loves you and you're certain of that. And then comfort your children with the truth from God's words. Because all of our kids are going to go through difficult times. There were some more teenagers, young adults that got married from our church this past weekend. I got some more getting married next weekend. One of the things that I communicate to all of them is that remember the Holy Spirit will not only strengthen you, give you a vision, but you're going to pass through times where you're going to need the comfort of the Holy Spirit as well. 
And one of the ways that God chooses to comfort our children is through godly dads and granddads like you and me. And then confirm what you see God doing in them. Can, can I take you back to the prodigal son? And, I, and I'm so grateful. And I say this with the utmost reverence. I'm so grateful to the Holy Spirit for that, that hour of exercising when all this was becoming so clear to me. Because I've never preached on this. And yet when I'm exercising, this thought comes. And that is when that boy was in the pig pen, I am confident that he began to remember the things that his dad told him about his life. Son, you're a possibility. Son, God's got plans for your life. Son, you are not an accident. Son, God wants to use you. And he came to his senses, the Bible says, thinking, why am I living in this pig pen? My father's servants have it better than this. I will arise and go home. When you give your kids that confirming word, the Bible calls it a blessing. You bless your children with what they need to know. And then finally, the counseling that they need that only a dad and a granddad can give. And then if I could just encourage you to do this, live a godly life. Live a godly life. Don't let there be anything in your life that you would be ashamed for your children to find out that you haven't atoned for. Oh, there's always things that we wish that we hadn't have done. There's always things that we regret that we've done, things we've said, maybe activities that we used to participate in, maybe something you've done. Keep short accounts with God and keep short accounts with your family. Because if you keep short accounts and you ask for forgiveness as well as you forgive them, I promise you, your family is going to be healthy. So here's what I'm asking you to do this morning. If you've never crossed the line and given your heart to Jesus, believe the gospel. God loved you so much that he sent Christ. Now, friend, if God would give his son up for us, then how much more willing is God willing to give us everything we need for life and godliness? I've never preached on John 3.16. I've told this many times here at this church. It's not that I don't believe it. I believe it with all my heart. I just don't know how to do justice to that verse. And I think it's a tragic shame that people quote it without thinking about it. But would you let me quote it to you? For God so loved the world. I'm not sure people know that. I'm not sure people really know. I mean, we say it, but tax collectors and sinners drew near to Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. How did God give his son? For people who had no time for God, for people that the Bible says rejected him, after the first service, when I was greeting families at the back of the service this morning, one of the members of our congregation said, Pastor, thank you so much for telling us about the chosen. She said, I watched the episode where Jesus was walking into town and the Romans had crucified all of these people and he was looking at them with grief. She said, he knew what was coming. I go, yeah. Greater than that, the father knew. As a dad of a son 
who's been in more battles and skirmishes overseas than I like to think about. For people that hate this nation, I've asked him sometimes, son, how do you keep from being bitter? He's a talented, multilingual officer in the army. Could go do anything he wants to do. He says, Dad, there are children, there are women. He said, there are men, there are families just like us. They just want to be able to live a family life without somebody coming and blowing up their home or blowing up their business. He says, and Dad, I've met some of them that they've become followers of Jesus Christ. He says, there's one pastor we protected he said, the fanatics were always trying to blow up their church and, blow, and kill him. And he said, we protected him because of the good work he was doing, feeding hungry and taking people in, risking his life. He said, I hated so much to leave him behind. You see, I think he had gained insight into John 3.16 through what he was forced to experience that I hadn't experienced. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Believe that. Put your hope in that today. Because God believes in you. God's never lost hope for you. God's always been looking out for you. God will cover your scars God will cover your sins and forgive them. God will bring you in as a member of his family. You will be a partner with him. And God will give you a fresh start in life. And then secondly, allow God's freedom to flow through you. Be who God created. You'll never be who God created you to be until first you commit your life to Jesus Christ. And then finally this morning, you can trust him with your children. I'm not ready to go to heaven in the sense that I want to die. I love living. I love living on this beautiful earth. I love my church. I love my family. But I tell you this, when it comes to my kids, I'm at peace because I know who they have believed and trusted in because I taught them to do so. So I'm going to ask you to stand with me in the sanctuary this morning. If you're watching online at home, I'm going to ask you to pray with me. And I'm just, close your eyes. And I'm going to be looking at the camera talking to you, but just agree with me in prayer. Lord, there may be some folks that are watching right now, especially some men. God, for some reason, they have watched this whole message. You want them to know you've always been looking out for them. You've always loved them. You've never given up hope on them. And when they didn't love you, you loved them. But now they're coming to their senses. Now they're realizing they were made for you. And so I'm asking you to help them put their trust in you. Help them to receive your forgiveness of their sins because you will always receive the repentant. Repentance isn't about how you feel. 
It's about a decision you make to turn and live for Christ. And if you're ready to do that, would you pray with me now? You just repeat these words and mean them. You don't even have to say the same words, but just pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I'm drawing near to you. I'm not drawing near to this pastor. I'm not drawing near to this church, but I'm drawing near to you. I've come to my senses. I don't understand it all, but I receive your forgiveness for my sins, and I commit my life to you today. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for looking out for me. And thank you for giving me hope today. For it's in your precious name I pray. Amen and amen. And if you prayed that prayer, if you'll email me at info at woodland.church, I will send you something right away to help you get started in your walk with Jesus. Or if you need somebody to talk to, if you'll let me know that in that email, I will respond to that as well. I love you. I hope you have a wonderful, happy Father's Day. God bless you here in this church. Happy Father's Day to all of you. Consider yourselves dismissed this morning. Love you.